Hi there. This is Phil St. Romain from the team at Heartland Center for Spirituality in Great Bend, Kansas. In this presentation, I'll be reflecting on the relationship between God and creation as understood in the Judeo-Christian tradition. This is a huge topic, so we will be able to touch on only a few basic points, and even these could be full-blown courses in themselves. My hope in this presentation is that we can come to an appreciation of the unique approach taken in this tradition and the difference it can make in our spiritual practice. We begin with two statements. First, there is a God, and you are not him, her, it. The second statement, and now it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Galatians 2, verse 20. These two statements seem to be in conflict to some degree, but as we shall see, they lay out some of the parameters and possibilities for understanding how God and creation relate. Let's touch on a few of the ways in which God and creation are imaged, how they relate to each other. A first one is emanationism, that creation is like rays extending from a light source, like the sun, that it's essentially an extension or emanation of God, made of the same stuff as God. This gives rise to a view called pantheism or monism, which is held in some philosophies and even religions, but this is not what is taught in the Bible. Emanationism gives rise to spiritualities where one seeks to realize one's innate divinity. A second view, atheistic, this view is held by largely scientific materialists who believe that there is no God responsible for the creation of the universe they don't exactly know how the universe came into being. Most of them believe that it started with the Big Bang, but some think that the Big Bang was preceded by a universe that eventually contracted and then exploded again, and that's what the universe has been doing for long, long periods of time, and who knows how it all began. The third view, and the one we're most interested in in this presentation, is theism, which is belief in the existence of a creator god. Creation in this view is considered by most theologians to be ex nihilo, that the universe was created from no thing. If there had been something it was created from, we'd have to explain where that thing came from in the first place. So there's no pre-existing matter, and it's not created from God's own substance. This is the perspective most commonly affirmed in the Judeo-Christian Islam tradition. There's several ways of imaging this, and we're going to look at some of them. And, of course, there are spiritualities that flow from this view as well. If God created the universe from nothing, then how do we get from God to creation? We don't understand. Everything we use to express our creativity entails using something that already exists. 
God is not constrained in this manner, however. Philosophers and theologians have made deep reflection on this topic, but in the end we're left with a mystery beyond our comprehension. The analogy of speaker and word comes to us in the book of Genesis. Again and again in the Genesis account of creation we read, And God said, Let there be light, let there be water, let there be various creatures, let there be man, let there be woman. God speaks the creation into existence. What is the relationship between speaker, word, and spoken? Consider your own speech. The words express ideas, memories, feelings, and sound, which is projected into the environment. A word spoken comes from the speaker and carries with it something of the presence and intention of the speaker. But yet it is not the speaker of the word. Speaker and word are vitally connected, but they are not the same. The same goes for the creation spoken by God, and for our own words as well. We are always more than the sum of our words, and God is more than the sum of creation. Creation, then, we say, is gratuitous, which means that God did not need to make the creation. Its existence is a pure gift. One will sometimes hear teachings that God needed to make the creation because God was lonely, or that it helps God to develop God's potential somehow to be interacting with the creation. The Christian understanding of God as Trinity refutes the idea of a lonely God, and the perfection of divine attributes is such that no deficiency is present. Creation, we believe, is a free act of God, made out of love to bring forth new beings who could share in God's love. Let's go a little deeper into this theistic understanding of how God and creation are connected. We'll do so by reflecting on the four C's of creation. Creation, contingency, conservation, and concurrence. First, creation. This simply means what we've already talked about, that God brings forth into existence a universe of creatures of all different kinds. If God doesn't make the creation, it would not exist. Second, contingency. From the creature's perspective, its existence is completely gratuitous. It cannot will itself into existence. Even the atheist must acknowledge this fact. A creature is existence received. God is not a creature in this sense. God is a self-subsistent being. God does not receive God's existence from anyone, but creatures need God for their existence. Third, conservation. God sustains in existence that which God creates. As St. John of the Cross states in The Ascent of Mount Carmel, it must be known that God dwells and is present substantially in every soul, even in that of the greatest sinner in the world. And this kind of union is ever wrought between God and all the creatures, for in it God is preserving their being. If union of this kind were to fail them, 
they would at once become annihilated and would cease to be. So God creates and God sustains in creation the creature's existence, and that's what we mean by conservation. And finally, concurrence. That God gives creatures the ability to do what they do, so that when a creature acts, they do so by virtue of the ability given them by God, who concurs in the act by virtue of being the source of the creature's ability. Hmm, if that sounded too complicated... What we mean here is that divine concurrence underlies the creature's actions. God gives the creature the ability to act, but is not directly responsible for the act of the creature. That the creature has some God-given ability to act, even contrary to God's will. The four C's tell us something about how God and creation interact, with two key points being, number one, that God simultaneously holds all the cords when it comes to a creature's existence. And also number two, God allows creatures to exercise their freedom and to experience the consequences of their actions. This sets up the possibility for a real relationship between God and creatures. In a theistic understanding, then, creatures are not God, They're new beings with various degrees of freedom and intelligence, coming in a wide range of forms, from subatomic through molecular, cellular, organisms, and even spiritual forms like angels. Secondly, we note that creatures are connected with God. We're not separate from God. We would perish if God did not conserve our existence moment by moment. Third, creatures are connected with one another. More complex creatures assimilate simpler ones into their structure. Living creatures partake of air and water, depend on sunlight and soil, consume other creatures for their energy and sustenance. We are profoundly interdependent. Next, creatures are intrinsically good. That which comes forth from the creative act of God cannot help but be good, for God is good. As the old saying goes, God don't make junk. Creatures are capable of acting in conformity with the divine intent inscribed in their being, or of using their intelligence and freedom in opposition. This is much more so of humans than other creatures, that are not as spiritually conscious as we are. Finally, we note that creatures are impermanent. We're in transition. We combine with other forms, as we've noted, but eventually, in the case of living forms, we die. What about the human creature? Do the four C's apply to us? Yes, they do. Everything we just said about creation in general applies to us humans. We're creatures. A natural union exists between God, the soul, the body, and every cell and molecule in our bodies. In this sense, we're not separate from God. 
Second, in the case of the human, our spiritual soul enables us to be consciously intelligent and free. We can be mirrors or images of God in our spirituality and develop a likeness to God in our character and behavior. This makes for the possibility of conscious relationships with other humans and God. It presents the possibility of more than simply a natural union, but one that is interpersonal, relational, and loving. Human spiritual consciousness also means we have a profound influence on the rest of creation. God created us to help tend the creation, to be stewards of its development, but we can also be destroyers of it as well, using it to meet our own selfish ends. So human freedom and intelligence makes it possible to love consciously and intentionally, bringing forth new and deepening bonds between people and the creation. We can even become friends of God, as we note in the example of many saints and mystics. Of course, there's a dark side, and that would be sin. This is another possibility, misusing our freedom and intelligence with a consequence of disharmony within, also the experience of alienation from God and one another, and even violence toward nature and one another. We encounter many sad reminders of this in our daily experiences and in the news. How then do God and the creation interact? We're going to look briefly at three models. The first one we call deism. It's sometimes considered a variety of theism, which is the focus of this presentation. With deism, the four C's that we've covered are in play. God is the creator. But beyond that, God does very little to influence the development of creation. Sometimes the analogy of God as a clockmaker is used, that in making the universe, God winds it up and then just allows it to spin out on its own, without interfering in any way. The creatures have divine intent within, and intelligent creatures can learn the ways of God through nature, rational reflection on moral principles, even affirm God's existence by recognizing the fact of contingency. So deists do believe in God. They're not atheists. The founding fathers of the United States were mostly deists. And many Christians, for all practical purposes, are also deists. They believe God created them and also don't have much of a sense of God's involvement in their lives. They're just supposed to figure things out themselves. Okay, let's contrast that with Christian theism. In Christian theism, God's is more interactive, attempting to influence the creature in various ways. In humans, for example, through conscience, nudging us to do what is right and to avoid evil. We also believe that God has revealed God's self and appeals to our intelligence and will to guide our lives according to revelation. We believe that God has a vision for the universe, that history is moving in a direction guided by God, 
and we all have a role to play in helping history unfold. Within Christian theism, there are a variety of approaches to understanding how God and creation relate, process theology being a very popular approach these days. A third model of interactivity is Christic transformation, and here we take an even closer look at how the incarnation of Jesus Christ has enabled God to be in more direct contact and intimate communion with the creation sharing divine life with humans and the rest of creation through Christ. Creation is profoundly interconnected, as we have already noted. With the incarnation of God as Jesus Christ, a new blessing of divine life ripples through the whole of creation. This is sometimes called deep incarnation, the study of Christ's influence in the cosmos. Developing this understanding and the practices to grow in Christic life is the focus of Christian mystical theology and spirituality. In closing, let's name a few ways in which the understanding of God and creation we've covered in this presentation can enrich our lives. First, gratitude for the gift of life. Life is given to us. It's a gift. Be in touch with the wonder of existence itself. Know that the good God revealed by Christ holds us in existence. We can learn to relax our being more and more into this realization, to entrust our being to its loving source. Third, spend more time in nature. It's our extended family. We're profoundly connected to everything, and it's good to experience this more and more deeply. I know that I personally feel more alive when I go camping, hiking, or bird watching. There is a peace and grounding sense of reality communicated by nature. Fourth, appreciate the iconic quality of creatures that each revealed something of God's creativity. Being silently present to any creature, a flower, for example, or a leaf, we can connect with a deeper resonance, our existence and theirs, arising each moment from the creative goodness of God. Next, we all need to do our part to help care for the planet. It's part of our common vocation, Every little bit each of us does in this regard is helpful. As the old saying goes, we need to think globally and act locally. This is still a valid approach. Finally, avail yourself to the various means of Christic influence. God's loving intervention in the creation through the person of Jesus is ongoing how are we being called to grow in faith, to grow in Christ? These are concerns we can pursue in our church, through spiritual practices like prayer and spiritual direction, through study and service. These practices will help to deepen our sense of God's presence touching us through nature. <music>